This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 307. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this podcast episode, Angie discusses the importance of working on your weak areas so that you can become a healthier and stronger version of yourself. Plus, we speak with an Australian runner who is mobilizing the running community to help those affected by the devastating brush fires. And of course, you can get expert help reaching your running goals and working on all of your weak areas inside the academy, learn about membership and our awesome coaches over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So Angie, how's the training going for your next marathon, the Revel Coolia Marathon in Hawaii? Well, I just had the realization that we're leaving for our trip basically in 10 days. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the tapering period right now. I did my 20 mile long run two days after Christmas which was rough. I mean, <laughs> just to put it out there, eating rich food and celebrating a holiday and then going out to do a 20-mile run was not the best combination, but sometimes it's good to have a rough long run because it really makes you appreciate the good ones and you also realize that you're strong enough to push through them. So I got through my 20-miler and then I've been tapering down ever since. I did a 12-miler on the treadmill for my last long run at a negative 3% decline. So our treadmill only goes to 3% decline. <laughs> right. And what was the reason you ran it that way? Well, the Revel Coolia course is a downhill course. So parts of it are up to 7% decline. So it's going to be a pretty steep grade. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to prepare the best that I can running hills, you know, in our area and then also trying to do some consistent declines. But yeah, I can't mimic what the course is going to be like 100%, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and going back to what you said about having a rough long run, it's okay if that happens because sometimes you'll have a rough race. So a bad long run kind of prepares you for that. Yeah, I just thought of this. I was running a new section of a rail trail that I've run before. And it was maybe like a mile or two into my long run, just kind of feeling like blah, you know, like, uh, I still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And on the side of the trail, there was what looked like a human skull, like propped up on a stick. Wow. <laughs> a closer inspection, it was like more of like a Halloween one, you know, like a, a plastic type thing. Well, I should hope. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is not a good premonition. Or like, see a human skull grinning at me from the side of the trail. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last person on the long run. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what is going on out there at MTA land? We're off to a strong start. What's going on out there, Angie? We heard from Jennifer in the Academy. She says, I checked off another item on my 49 things to do before age 50 list. I love that idea. I'm yeah. interjecting here, obviously. She says, I ran a half marathon personal best. Of course, personal best for all race distances are on my list. And I got first place in my age category. Best of all was that my last two miles were some of my best splits. And it felt great to run in strong. Well, thank you for sharing, Jennifer. I would love to see her list on all the 49 things. I think it's really cool to have a list like that, you know, kind of a, not really a bucket list because she's not going to kick the bucket at, <laughs> at 50. That's right. But pack in as much life as you can before the big five zero, right? Yeah, I think that's such a great idea. I've heard other people, um, like on the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast, they always do like a, a 19 for 2019 or 20 for 2020. So they like make a list of 19, you know, whatever the year is, that many things they want to accomplish in a year. Yeah. But the idea of what you want to accomplish before your next birthday and having a list, you know, some of them could be really big goals, maybe ongoing goals that you don't know when you're accomplished, like a, a personal best. Some of them can be like just little fun things that you've always wanted to do, but never got around to. This note comes from Brandon. He says, hello, Angie and Trevor. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your podcast. Several months ago, I came across your show while searching for marathon training advice and got hooked after the first episode I listened to. I was able to complete my first marathon in Richmond, Virginia in the fall, where I achieved two goals I set out to accomplish. Number one, run sub four hours. I finished in 347 and to actually run the whole race. No walking. The interview tips and advice over the last several months of listening helped me get race ready and help make the marathon enjoyable enough to actually do another one. Thanks again, and I'll continue to listen. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for that note, Brandon. And we definitely count that a huge success if someone finishes that strong and then also thinks about doing another one. So that's good news. That's right. And we just want to encourage all of you listening to just keep showing up every day in your training, keep putting in the work. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how to work on your weak areas. And we've got a lot of good tips and takeaways for you. We hope will help you become a more solid runner. So let's go ahead and get into that right now. Well on my way. So this episode, like a lot of the ones I do, was inspired by something that I read recently. And specifically, it was an article by Coach Jason Koop entitled, Work on Your Ultra Running Weaknesses This Winter. And the gist of it was that it's important to work on your weak areas in the off-season. Now, the off-season may not necessarily happen for everyone during the winter months because we all are training for different races, but I really feel like it's important to step back from hard training for a period of time each year, especially if you're a hard driving type A runner. If you're a, you know, quote unquote, lazy runner, Trevor, like you like to call yourself, it may not be as important to schedule time off. Um, This year for my off season, it was during the months of July and August, and I didn't stop running, but I gave myself permission just to run for fun and to include some other exercise activities into my schedule, things like more strength training and maybe some rowing for cardio and things like that. And then I had the drive and energy to come back in September and really hit it hard in preparation for my fall running goals. That sounds like fun, rowing, (laughs) strength training, (laughs) Angie's version of fun. Yes, yes. For everyone, it will be different. I totally acknowledge. So, you know, you may not be in the off season right now. Maybe you're training for your spring marathon. But I really think that the concept of working on weak areas is something that's so important. And we often don't think about our weak areas until we're in the thick of training and maybe something is rearing its ugly head. So being proactive about getting stronger is basically about prevention. It's far better to stay healthy than have to fight back from injury. So what do you mean when you talk about weak areas, Angie? Yeah, it's a great question. There are numerous examples of what could be a weak area, and this is going to vary from runner to runner. But I think there are some similarities across the board. Maybe for some people, taking rest days is a challenge for you, and you'd rather schedule each day full of workouts. I know that's not your problem, Trevor. (laughs) Um, No, I'm a pro at taking rest days. That's right. Maybe you rarely, if ever, strength train, and you find that you don't have the strength and stamina that you want. Maybe you're very hard on yourself if you don't perform how you want and you look to running for the majority of your identity. Maybe your weak area is that you've had niggles or injuries popping up or you seem to get injured a lot. Um, It's also possible that you struggle with pacing your runs. Maybe you start out strong and then you dwindle down by the second half. Maybe mental strength is where you're struggling. Maybe you psych yourself out before starting challenging runs or workouts, or you find that you have to walk at a certain point in long runs, no matter what your pace or your effort level is. Or maybe you have a mental block at races. Um, A lot of people have trouble dialing in their nutrition. That could be a weak area. Maybe you train hard, but you seem to undo some of your efforts by uncontrolled eating or even not eating enough. These are just a few examples of what could be weak areas for people. There are even more that I could mention, but you know, maybe as I've mentioned some of these, you're already thinking about something that is a weak area for you. Maybe something else is popping into your head. But deep down, we probably know what our weak areas currently are. And it's likely if you don't know what your weak areas are, you're going to find out in the process of training for your goal race. It's, it's like training for a marathon starts to reveal your weaknesses. That's why the training period can be so transformative. That's right. That's a great perspective to have on it. So we're going to go over some common weak areas, and Angie's going to kind of dive in and help you put together a plan for how to work on them. So the good news is that you're not alone when you're dealing with weak areas. And the first one I want to talk about is rest. So I mentioned earlier, if you're a type A person, you have a busy life, and you put a lot of pressure on yourself, it's likely that you're not very good at resting. So I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now. (laughs) Somehow in modern life, rest has been made to look like a weakness, while overwork and stress have become badges of honor. You'll hear people kind of like brag planning or like bragging complaining (laughs) about how busy they are and how little they sleep at night. And while this may work or seem to work in the short term, it's going to do you physical, mental, and emotional harm in the long term. So it's important that you reframe how you view rest to make it work for you. 
start to look at rest as preventative medicine. This means that you rest before you feel like you need to. If you wait until you're exhausted, it's often hard to make up for lost ground. So I really like the idea of reframing the concept of rest as enjoying the fruit of your labor. You work hard and you deserve to rest. So a good first step if you know that rest is something you need to work on is to schedule one rest day from training every week. Try to make that day as low key as you can to rest your body and mind. Since I know this is a weakness of mine, I consistently take one day off each week. It's usually Sunday for me just because it works best with my schedule. And on that day, I allow myself to sleep in a bit if I feel like it. I may go for an easy walk or maybe do some light yoga or stretching if I feel like it, but that's pretty much it for activity. Um, Yesterday, for example, was my rest day, and I even took an Epsom salt bath, which just felt really good and relaxing. So you have to purposely schedule in a rest day. It just doesn't naturally happen for you? No, like I have... It's hard to describe if if you're not a type A person, but my natural tendency is to want to work hard every day. And I like the idea of like seeing some kind of mileage every single day. So I have to like make myself take a day off from running. This is how Angie rests and rest two, three and go and rest <laughs> two, three. See, I'm so good at rest. I thought about making an instructional video. See, you just, you walk by the treadmill and you just look at it and think, not today. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> It might work. Each runner's rest day may be designed a bit differently, but if you're doing it right, you should feel rejuvenated and ready to go the next day. You should kind of like feel like you're itching to get back to your training schedule. And that, that's a sign that you're getting enough rest in and you're, you're staying healthy and motivated. Another thing that goes hand in hand with rest is that maybe you recognize that you need to improve the quality and quantity of your sleep. And a great thing to do if you want to focus more on sleep is to invest in a sleep tracker. This really gives you some good data on how much you're sleeping and any basic patterns that are showing up. Um, I recently started tracking my sleep after I got my Koros Apex watch. And I started wearing it at night just because I'm kind of a sleep zealot and of course, love data and everything, and was really interested that I, I thought I was getting more sleep than I actually was. This shows like wake periods during the night. It shows light sleep. It shows deep sleep. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'm spending eight hours in bed, but I'm actually only getting like seven hours and 30 minutes of sleep. So it was really re- revealing for me. Um, there are lots of watches and devices that you can get that will track the amount of sleep and the types of sleep stages that you're going through. And you can look at this along with your resting heart rate. Any increases in your resting heart rate can indicate a lack of recovery over time. Um, And also another good metric to look at is heart rate variability. That's going to determine if your body is resetting and adapting to your training or simply getting worn down. So if you really like to see the numbers, this will be something really good for you to get so that you can know if your rest is paying off. So there are many things that you can do to improve your sleep, and I'm sure people who are listening are familiar with some of the common suggestions. These include keeping your sleeping environment dark. You can consider blackout curtains or even using a sleep mask, making sure your sleeping environment is cool and quiet. If it's not quiet enough or you have trouble sleeping, if it's too quiet, you can use a sound machine or a white noise generator. Another suggestion is to stop using screens at least an hour before bedtime to block the amount of blue light that's activating your brain. Um, You can dim your environment or wear those blue blocking glasses about two to three hours before bed just to help you calm down. Um, Avoid working out at least one to two hours before you want to go to sleep because that can kind of activate your body and it can be hard to, to calm down and rest. Avoid caffeine eight hours before bedtime if you're sensitive to caffeine. And, of course, try to get into a regular sleep schedule. You know, there was something hindering me from getting to sleep quick. And I didn't realize it until fairly recently. I'll tell you what it is. Going up the stairs too fast. (laughs) Because our bedroom's upstairs. So I usually charge up the stairs. I don't know what it is, but I like to go up the stairs fast. And you sound like an elephant when you walk. So, yes, I've heard you charge up the stairs (laughs) many a night. (laughs) Angie's a very light sleeper. So by the time I get to the top of the stairs, I kind of got my heart rate up a little bit. And then I try to go to sleep and it just doesn't work that well. And as many, many experts have said, if you improve the quality of your sleep, you're going to improve your life in so many other ways. You're going to have more energy for work. You're going to have more energy for marathon training. It's just one of those keystone habits, wouldn't you say, Angie? Definitely. 
And the next weak area for a lot of people is their strength or um, strength training. That's right. The fact is that none of us have perfectly balanced bodies. Even full-time pro athletes have to regularly work on their strength. Most of us tend to be too sedentary in daily life, and even if you're a runner, a large amount of sitting still isn't good for you. Our posture and muscle strength tends to suffer the more we sit. Um, we've probably heard the mantra that uh, sitting is the new smoking. So signs that you need to work on your strength include dealing with niggles or injuries, fading toward the end of a workout or a race, and maybe dealing with chronic discomfort like back pain. So the solution to improving your strength is going to be different depending on your issues. It may include working with a physical therapist for those with current injuries, maybe working with a strength coach if you're not sure what to do for strength training, or even being more consistent about implementing a regular strength training program. If you know you, know you should be doing it, maybe you did something in the past, but you've just kind of fallen off the wagon. Um, so just being more intentional about doing it. A couple years ago, I paid for several sessions with a strength coach so that we could develop a routine to address my weaknesses and so that the coach could watch my form. Because if you're just starting out with weight training, it's really important to begin with good form habits before you begin loading on the weight. Because you can actually make things worse if you have poor form and then you're lifting heavy weight. When it comes to strength, it's not like you have to set aside huge chunks of time every day to improve your strength. Now, you may need to schedule in a 30 to 40 minute strength session once a week, and then you can also do smaller chunks of strength work, maybe one to two times per week. You can incorporate strength work into smaller bursts that fit into your day. Now, this will depend on your activity level and the type of job you have. And it may include things like getting up every hour from your desk for some movement. That could be walking around. It could be doing a few push-ups, maybe holding plank for a couple of minutes, maybe doing some squats, um, maybe do a handstand to get the blood flowing to your head, and uh, maybe a few yoga stretching movements. So there's a lot of great things you can do to just incorporate more movement and more strength into your day. Um, maybe you can pair your core work while you're watching TV or listening to an audiobook. So it's not like you have to totally reinvent your schedule. It's just adding things in and pairing them with activities that you already do. And one thing I do while I'm brushing my teeth is that I tend to do one-legged exercises. So um, it's a great way to work on strength and stability, balance, like you know, stabilizing those muscles in your feet and ankles. So I pretty much just stand on one leg while I'm brushing my teeth. And then with the, the leg that I've got elevated, I'll do like hip abduction movements or, you know, donkey kicks or just whatever I feel like I need to work on. But I'm still working on balance and also a little bit of strength. And, you know, it doesn't add any more time into my day. We all kind of like brush our teeth on autopilot anyway. So you have brain space to be doing something else. And I find it's like a really good, good way to pair some strength with a habit that I do several times a day. And thirdly, we want to talk about nutrition. Yes, this is an area where a lot of us tend to struggle. I've mentioned before that while I'm very disciplined in the area of exercise, I can tend to fall apart easily when it comes to nutrition. Uh, one of the consistent messages that you'll hear about improving your running performance has to do with nutrition, though. Many runners are actually underfueling their bodies and not taking in the needed amount of macros to build muscle and to maintain their muscle and to keep their bones healthy. So this can be from disordered eating, it can be from a desire to lose weight, or it can simply come from being so busy they forget to prioritize eating. Um, Natalie, my nutrition coach, says that most women she works with are afraid to eat more. They equate like eating more food with gaining weight. And so as an athlete, you really have to find how to prioritize nutrition for performance. And, you know, sometimes women especially view food as the enemy rather than as a way to give them strength and energy to achieve their goals. On the other hand, some runners use their training as an excuse to party it up in the food department and eat whatever they want. You know, then we get frustrated because we're not making improvements in our speed or our body composition goals. It's hard for me because I like to party it up. I know you do. <laughs> and it can really be a tough balance because food should be enjoyable. And a lot of activities are based around food and drink. And we can be really easy to get caught up in tons of quote unquote special food moments. 
you know, when you add up celebrating people's birthdays, post-race indulgences, just eating out on a weekly basis, and all the holidays they are, it's no wonder why people struggle with making progress in the area of nutrition. And it's often not just a black or white equation, either not eating enough or eating too much. There's a lot of people who kind of live in between, you know, sometimes falling into one category, sometimes into the other. Nutrition can be an area where seeking help and accountability is really important, especially if you recognize signs of disordered eating in your life. You really owe it to yourself to reach out for help. It can be a scary process of realizing that you need to change, but the dividends are really rewarding. And a perfect time to dial in your nutrition and your fueling is in the off-season or when you're just kind of beginning the process of starting training for a race. And so that you have a proven system in place by the time that your goal race rolls around and you're not just really struggling in the area of your eating. You're really only going to get the best out of yourself if you're truly honoring your body and giving it the nutrition that it needs. And I've found this out firsthand. I mean, I'm very dedicated to working out and the whole process of marathon training, but for so long I was hindered in my goals um, to get faster and to get better body composition. And so I've been so thankful to be working with Natalie, our nutrition coach, through MetPro. And you guys have heard me talk about this, how I've been able to lose 32 pounds. And it's not just the fat that I've lost. It's the fact that I feel so much stronger. I've got the muscle definition that I want. I've got the energy and the confidence back. And I feel more like myself. And as a result of that, you know, my race times have dropped. So Angie, you've been pretty disciplined in your eating. And like you mentioned, you look great. You feel great. Your marathon times have gotten faster. You ran a PR last fall. But I've been with you at a lot of meals where you're not drinking the alcohol. uh, You're passing on dessert. You're passing on the stuff that I'm usually eating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had some friends over for dinner on Friday night. And um, they own a, a local brewery. So, and they're great people. But uh, it was kind of funny because, yeah, I was like passing on the alcohol and passing on the dessert. As our friends brought over all kinds of great beer from their brewery and Angie was explaining how she doesn't drink, (laughs) I kind of leaned in and said, well, I am here to take up the slack. (laughs) And you certainly did. So no slacker in that department. Good to hear. Anyway, so Angie, the question I had for you, though, was, is it worth it? All that good food you've had to pass up and how disciplined you've been in your eating, I know it's hard. Like it takes a lot of willpower sometimes. Is it worth it or is it kind of a wash? (laughs) Yeah, 100% it's worth it. I mean, looking at the big picture, it's been worth every sacrifice. Um, And I've had to reframe what I see you saying good food, quote unquote, good food. You know, and I assume you're referring to like alcohol, dessert, fried foods, all of like the the off-limits type stuff. Um, But really, I mean, dialing in my macros and eating on the MetPro system, I am eating really, really good food and it's high quality food. It's food that leaves me feeling energized and healthy and not having regrets later on because I feel sluggish and bloated. So so I do get to eat a lot of good food. But yeah, sometimes I do feel sorry for myself. I'm like, oh, I just wish I could eat anything I wanted and, you know, still look and feel great. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a trade-off for sure. It's definitely not easy to change your body composition, but yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, if you're interested in working with this company, seeing what they can do for you, they are a concierge nutrition consulting company. It's called MetPro.co. Just go to MetPro.co forward slash MTA and you can get a free 30-minute consultation call with one of their experts to talk about what your needs are and what your goals are. That's MetPro.co forward slash MTA. I've been thinking a lot recently about how our physical state relates to our mindset, then our mindset to our output and our output to our results. So sometimes you just don't feel the energy, the oomph to get up and work and push hard in life, whether it's in your marathon training or it's in your work um, or achieving any of the goals that you have. If you're just tired all the time and don't have that physical energy, you're just not going to be able to do it. So you got to change your, your physical state, your energy. And exercise is a great way to do that. Even changing environments to get focused or even just going from sitting to standing is a good way to change your physical state. Um, otherwise, we kind of get in this rut. Like we have no energy. And since we have no energy, we don't get anything done. And then that just discourages us so we have less energy (laughs) yep it's a hideous cycle it is and fourthly we want to talk about the importance of working on your mindset that's right all of us have areas where we lack confidence and we're often the hardest on ourselves we may struggle with fixed mindsets 
or untrue thought loops that are going through our heads and that we just accept as true. And some of these mindsets have been part of our lives for years and they can be really tough to change. It takes true intentionality to challenge negative thoughts and to substitute more helpful ones in their place. So ways to combat a lack of mental strength would be to include things like focusing on gratitude. It's a lot tougher for negative thoughts to intrude when you're listing things that you're thankful for. Another way to build mental strength is by doing written and verbal daily affirmations. Now, these should be personal to your situation and goals, but examples could be, I am strong, I am confident, I am a marathoner. And a really good mental exercise to do if you're in a negative headspace during a run is to think of positive I am statements for the entire alphabet. And I've done this before, and you kind of feel a bit corny and weird at first, and you kind of make yourself chuckle, because sometimes you have to really stretch for these words. But it's also very empowering. So like say, I am an achiever, I am brave, I am confident, I am determined, I am eager, I am fantastic, I am generous, and just go through the whole alphabet. It like totally takes you out of a negative thought loop because you're trying to think of these things. It's like all these positive statements. So I'd encourage people to try it. (laughs) I am the captain of my fate. That's right. You could just make up whole sentences. You could alliterate whole strings of words if you wanted. So it's not easy to work through a lack of confidence, but you'll notice that success builds upon success. And when you keep promises to yourself, you'll build a stronger positive identity. Another aspect of building mental strength for running is deciding to enjoy the process of training. We often focus so much on the destination, you know, that finish line, but it's often during the journey that we learn the most about ourselves and where we gain the most confidence and resilience. I think that's so important is deciding to enjoy the journey. There's going to be so many challenges you're going to have to face um, along the way, mental, physical, emotional, but it's the process really that is life changing. And it's also important to work on not finding the majority of your identity from your running results. So if you're looking to running to find self-acceptance, then at some point you're going to be let down because the fact is you can't PR every race and there's always going to be someone who is faster or running farther. And so I think it's important to remember that you are enough apart from your running results. If you recognize that you've struggled mentally during your last training cycle or during your last race, the off season or your early training season can be a great time to read good books and to listen to podcasts on mindset. If you deal with negative thoughts and feelings that resist your efforts to change, you might even want to consider working with a trained therapist, a sports psychologist, or a counselor. Sometimes we need a coach for our mind, and you will notice that some of the most successful people in the world work with counselors and therapists and people who are coaching them in their mindset. There are a lot of good books that will help you build mental strength as well. A couple that come to mind is one called Peak Performance by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. We've had them on the podcast before. Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor is another great book that it's part memoir, but also has a lot of great mindset stuff in it. Um, There's another one called Mind Gym by Gary Mack that's really good. So, I mean, there's a ton of books that we could mention here, but finding books that will help you build your mental strength and confidence can be great to just really give you that extra boost in your training. Yeah, inside the academy, the whole first course is about proper mindset and building your mental toughness because it's so important. It's like a solid foundation, figuring out why you want to be a long-distance runner, what the big payoff factors are for you, and then you'll be able to go back and and tap into those reasons. They become sources of motivation when uh, times get tough. That's right. And the fifth thing Angie's going to talk about is consistency. Yeah, that's right. And when I asked you just kind of out of curiosity, what your weak area would be, you know, if there's something that you struggled with, this was what you said. You said consistency. I could probably say all of these except rest. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed the first one. That's okay. And probably your mindset, I think is pretty solid most of the time. Two out of five, baby. (laughs) See, I am consistent. I consistently do about half of my training plan. You're consistently inconsistent. (laughs) I still managed to run two marathons last year and a 50K. 
and a handful of half marathons. So I'm just going to keep signing up for races. Yeah, that that works. So one thing you'll hear over and over again is that the best results come to those who are consistent over time. And I think this is true in whatever field that you're trying to succeed in. So if you're not a type A runner, then consistency with your training is probably something that you've struggled with in the past or even right now. Now, consistency doesn't mean that you'll race year round or you'll push yourself to the max every single day. However, it does mean that you develop strategies and habits to help you stay healthy and in shape year round. So Trevor, you mentioned signing up for races that helps keep you motivated and consistent. Um, This will involve maintaining a solid running base year round so that you're not going from zero to 60 between the off season and your training cycle. I find that a large percentage of running injuries happen when people jump into training without a solid running base. If you go from haphazardly running, you know, a few times a month or a few times a year right into marathon training, chances are that it will not go well. So consistency is so important. Now, if you struggle with staying in a routine and staying motivated, or you're prone to like yo-yo training where, you know, you do well for a while and then you fall off, it's important to find a community to support you and to help give you accountability to stick with your goals. Consistency can also be developed by changing your mindset. So if you start to see yourself as a runner, then you'll identify with the actions of being a runner. If you identify as a fit and healthy person, then you'll want to take actions that will keep you fit and healthy. And sometimes we struggle with lack of consistency through no fault of our own. Maybe you went through a period of injury and you have to start back from scratch. Maybe you've had a serious illness or a surgery that required time off. Maybe you're pregnant or you just had a baby and you're facing the process of rebuilding your running base. So in these instances, consistency will require that you start back slowly and gradually. And it can be frustrating to feel like you've lost ground. But being kind to yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally is the best path to getting to where you want to be. All right, so we talked about five weak areas that we commonly hear about from runners. Rest, strength, nutrition, mindset, and consistency. Now Angie wants to give you three steps to help you take action. And step number one is... Acknowledge your weak areas. And like I said, we all have them. Sometimes our first reaction to weak areas is running away from them. (laughs) This can be figurative and literal because sometimes we try to run through injuries or ignore the fact that something is wrong and just hope it goes away on its own. Yep. So denial doesn't do us any favors, and it won't be productive to creating the change that we want to see. And you got to remember, too, people aren't going to judge you for having weak areas because everyone has them. And if you find that someone is judgmental, their judgment says more about them than it says about you. Judgment is a mirror and not a window. Just list any areas that you've struggled in during the last year, and that can be a good starting place to know what you need to work on. And number two. Recognize when you can't go it alone. Now, my first tendency is to try to fix things myself, which works about maybe half the time. (laughs) But it's okay, and it's positive to ask for help. We can't know everything or be able to fix all of our weaknesses alone. So whether you're struggling with injury or your mental strength or knowing how to appropriately push yourself or maybe your eating habits, there are people who have been down the same road before. It's important to reach out and let others help you find solutions. It's not a weakness to need accountability and advice because we're all there sometimes. And thirdly, make a plan. So once you've identified your weak areas, you've figured out what you need to do to find solutions and sought help, then you need to come up with an intentional plan. Now, it's good to have a big goal or a long-term perspective, but we really need to break it down into practical application. And this practical application will consist of things that you do on a daily, weekly, and even monthly basis. So, for example, maybe you've dealt with chronic injuries or gait problems, and you've identified the problem as a lack of strength and that you need a rehab plan to build your body stronger than ever. So for a personal example, for a couple of years, I dealt with a high hamstring issue, especially during the later miles of a marathon. And it would just really start cramping up and like most of my steps would be a little grimacy, you know, it was just one of those things I had to get through. 
And it got so bad at one point that it was painful to sit for any length of time. Really not a fun thing. And I finally realized that it was happening because my glutes were weak. And that was why my hamstrings were taking over, especially during those later miles of the marathon, to deal with the increased strain. So I started doing regular glute strengthening exercises. I avoided overstretching my hamstrings. And over time, the issue subsided. So now I'm really religious about doing lower body strength work and my hamstrings are so much happier. So that was my process of recognizing my weakness, figure out what was going on and making a plan to be consistent to fix it. So if you recognize that you don't know what to do to rehab your problem area, it's probably time to reach out for help. So if you know what injury or issue that you constantly deal with, then you could use something like the Resilient Runner Program that was developed by physical therapy doctor Ben Chateau. It's a great way to be preventative and also to fix issues that you have. Now, if you're not sure what the underlying issue is, you'll want to find a qualified sports medicine professional to help you diagnose the problem. If you're not sure who you should see, you can often get recommendations from other runner friends or even at your local running store because you don't necessarily want to see someone who doesn't have any experience with runners because often their solution for you is going to be just stop running, (laughs) which none of us want to hear or need to hear necessarily. Yeah, we've met quite a few runners who've been told that. Definitely get a second opinion and a third if someone tells you just stop running because, I mean, there's so much great research out there and so many great books now about how you can work through your knee injuries or whatever and get back to running and be a runner for life. Yeah, and we'd really encourage you to take inventory at the beginning of this year. It's a great time to identify any areas you want to work on. This could be including more intentional rest, building better strength, dialing in your nutrition, developing a stronger mindset, or simply being more consistent. And we recognize that it's not easy to change, but if you acknowledge your weak areas, you build that support system, and you get a plan together, you'll become a stronger person in both running and life. Yeah, and speaking of getting a plan together, all of our marathon training plans are available for download inside the academy for members, as well as all of our courses and resources and awesome online community. It's just a lot of runners from all over the world who are all in process, working on their weak areas, striving toward their goals. And you can learn about membership, of course, when you visit marathontrainingacademy.com. We also have some coaching spots open for clients that want to work one-on-one with our amazing coaches. And we can't say enough about the value of working with a coach to help you get unstuck or identify weak areas and work on them because, like Angie said, sometimes we just need outside help. So you can learn more about that on our coaching page on our website. Well, now we want to play a quick conversation with an Australian runner named Samantha Gash, who is bringing the running community together to help those affected by the devastating bushfires that are just ravaging across her beautiful country. We had somebody on Instagram reach out to us about promoting something called the Relief Run. It's a virtual race where 100% of the proceeds are going to go to the Australian Red Cross. And as I was looking into the Relief Run, I discovered that it was actually organized by Samantha Gash, who we've had on the podcast. It's been a while. Uh, We had her on the podcast in 2014 to talk about the Four Deserts Challenge. She was the youngest person in uh, history to complete the Four Deserts Challenge. Anyway, Samantha Gash has been busy. She's continuing to just do awesome things in her running, and she's appeared on the uh, TV show Survivor and the forthcoming Bear Grylls show World's Toughest Race. She's going to be in that. So it was nice to catch up with her, but really, like you, you know, I've seen the reports and the photos coming out of Australia and and the toll that the fires are taking. It just gives us a real heavy heart. So I was really excited to be able to talk to Samantha about the relief run. And if you're catching this episode in time, you can still participate. So here's my conversation with Australian runner Samantha Gash. I am speaking now with Samantha Gash from Australia. Samantha, it's been a long time. I know. I think I actually remember where we were when we first spoke. And I think I was in like, I was in Cairns at the time and I was taking part in a 
a three-day like marathon event and um, I spoke to you in the middle of that event but it's it's good to be back in touch that was 2014 yeah it was it's been it's been been a few years so what's what's changed anything major in your life in the last six years (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yes, <laughs> um, I mean I've had a I've had a baby. I've gotten married. Wow! Uh, awesome. I, I ran from the west to the east of India since then. Wow! Um, yeah, lots of lots of great, you know, challenging, um, you know, life changes, which I think is what happens over six years. Yeah, definitely. So, what are you doing now? Running full time, or being a full time mom, or you're a lawyer too, aren't you? Ah, uh, yes, I haven't practiced law for quite a while. The the way I split my time up now is still in um, the running space. I, I still, every couple of years, I'll do quite a significant um, running expedition linked to uh, social objectives. Okay. You know, I'm doing the speed project this year. I do a lot of adventure racing. I just took part in Bear Grylls um, World's Toughest Race event in Fiji last September, wow. which is airing as a 10-part series on Amazon Prime, I think, in April, although they haven't released um, that date yet um and then yeah this this year is very focused on kind of running projects so yes running still a massive part of my life as well as i do a lot of corporate presenting uh, in australia and, and and quite a bit in north america at the moment uh i'm a lululemon global run ambassador so yeah and of course i'm a mum. so that's really how my time gets divided i've always wanted to meet bear grills he's an amazing human he really is i, I won't lie i've met him twice now and obviously got to spend quite a bit of time with him um, during that race because he was very present. Um, he, he's obviously the host of the show, but he was everywhere. Like he would just pop up in the bushes and he really got to know our team very well. And he, he definitely cared about how we were going because um, it, was, it was a 700-kilometre adventure race and it was, it was incredibly hard. Mm. And so to have someone who you felt had your back um, but who also knew that you were about to do something really full on in the next part of the race. You know, it was, it was good to see him. So great human. Any idea what, what episode you're in? I have no idea. Like I, we were one of the teams that were closely followed, but still like, I, I've, you know, I, I did Survivor a couple of years ago. And what I can say is there's sometimes a difference between the experience that you live out um, from what is the edited version that said, I was repeatedly kind of told out there that this is a documentary. Like this is a documentary TV program, not a reality TV show. Um, and so I, I'm looking forward to seeing just like how human behaviour unfolds when they're pushed to the edge. Uh, and I think it's going to showcase Fiji, its landscape. Like I always just said it was this mixed boiling point of beauty and hell all in one because they really pushed the competitors to really do some tough stuff. Wow. Well, we need to have you back on the podcast for a proper full-length interview, but I'm excited to talk to you now because you have organized something called the Relief Run. Of course, um, you know all of us have been just devastated by the reports of all the fires uh, happening in Australia right now. I guess from the, the news that I just read this morning, uh, there's been 25 people killed, I think, and yeah. countless animals. Yeah. Yeah, I read a report yesterday that it estimated that, you know, a billion animals mm. um, have been killed through the, the bushfires. It's, I can't even, it's hard to conceptualise what that really is, but we 1,500 homes have been burnt down, you know, like millions of hectares of land have been destroyed it's basically covering like a significant portion of the entire country. Yeah. And if it's not, it's not affecting you directly in a large scale, we're being affected by the smoke that is impacting our, our ability of freedom of movement. So what's it like where you live? So I live in the Danong Ranges. So I live in a, a national park. And this was the setting for uh, another form of bushfires that we had a couple of years ago called Black Saturday. And that was that was really badly hit my area, but we're currently been okay. We had a, a longer winter. Um, we are definitely getting the smoke, and I guess I'm just really hoping that I, you, we don't know what's going to happen. But at the moment, we're okay where I live. Yeah. But if you're in the city in Melbourne, like the smoke is high. Like Canberra currently has the world's worst air pollution problem. Mm. So, like globally, Canberra, which is our you know our capital is the worst place to live for, for air quality. Yeah, just, I mean, the photos that we've seen 
the satellite images, the fact that there's been estimated a billion animals that have perished. I just can't help but think, well, will Australia ever be the same after this? Um, I believe in the, the ability for renewal and growth. Um, I also believe in an individual's ability to transform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from great tragedy and adversity, I think the collective human spirit often shines at its brightest. And the relief run that we have set up has actually has given me so much hope. And, you know, I'll give some details of that in a moment. But, you know, what was happening from my experiences is I was watching a lot of information play on the TV, you know, 24-7, it's what the coverage is about. And it's it's dire, it's catastrophic, it's emotionally taxing whether you're living it directly or not. And there's a great sense of helplessness around the country. I also noticed a significant amount of outrage to our politicians, to corporates who were even getting on board. And I just remember thinking if people are focusing on outrage because that's what is the emotional response sometimes when people are feeling, you know, helplessness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can focus on that, which is easy to do, or I can take action. And there's obviously quite a lot of things that you can do, like you can just directly donate. And I just thought, what if I could actually create something that mobilizes my community um, and lets me do what I'm good at, which is, you know, run. And so I went for a run, which is the place where I get my greatest clarity of thought. And on that, I was like, oh my goodness, what if we set up a virtual run that people can do anytime, anywhere over a certain weekend, which is the 18th to 19th of January? People pay $50 uh, a registration fee. And all of that will go as a donation to the Australian Red Cross, which is the only national body responding to this crisis. They're responding not to just the immediate response, but also the long-term damage rebuild phase, which I think is quite critical as well. And so it was a very raw idea, but I thought maybe I'll get 200 people to register. Um, But there was obviously deficit in my ability to pull it off. And so I reached out to a friend who I've worked a lot with um, in social impact running campaigns and his name's Nick. And together we kind of, well, he built the website. I created the copy. And I just, before we were even ready to go live, we had this, we were like, okay, in a couple of days, we'll, we'll launch it. Um, but then I did a little video on my social media with my son. And I just was like, this is, this is the issue. This is what I'm thinking. And I could just see that after I published that video, there was so much commentary. And mm. I just had this gut feeling oh my gosh, I think we need to launch it now. And I called Nick and I'm like, launch the platform now. Yeah. Um, and so he hadn't even finished the website and he worked crazily over it over the next couple of hours and we launched it at 11.30 p.m. on Sunday night in Australia. And I put it up on my Instagram page and I was like, oh, maybe no one will see it because it's 11.30 p.m. But I hoped maybe a couple of my friends overseas might just register and st- kick it off. And I woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning and there was $9,000 worth of registration hmm. um, and they're all from overseas people. And in the next hour and a half, it got to $15,500. And then in the first wow. 24 hours, um, $150,000 was raised with people all over the world taking part. And the essence of this is you can do the run solo and you can do it anywhere, but we're encouraging people to set up group runs that we advertise on our platform as well as they advertise, um, that they take ownership over and lead it. And that's been, I think, what has has made it go so far because we're now four and a half, I mean, maybe five days in, we've raised $306,000 with over 5000 registered participants over a hundred listed group runs and there's plenty not listed and 15 countries represented excellent so it's a virtual half marathon or 5k and all the proceeds go to the australian red cross correct and the race weekend is january 18th to 19th correct and you know amazingly strava got on board they um pro bono set up a strava challenge which means once you register on the reliefrun.com.au website, over the weekend, you can log your activity on the Strava Challenge page. And the reality is you can go anywhere from 5Ks to 21Ks to get your Strava badge. And you can walk it, run it, elliptical, treadmill. We actually don't care. Um, it's all about people just moving together. It's I guess it's the power of like purposeful movement. Exactly. So it sounds like the response has been great, especially you just, just launched this thing not too long ago. So yeah, that's, we launched it like four and a half days ago. Yeah. It's 
it's been um we never expected it to be like this and you know there, it was two of us who have kind of put it together so we've roped in another two friends who are administratively helping us kind of respond to emails and inquiries um and we're also trying to share what the what the process is like as well um to kind of make sure people know this is like grassroots this is just a bunch of people in our homes working on our laptops and like kind of making things up on the fly like developing it and being agile to like you know initially we didn't have a 5k event uh, and then we created it and so many different corporate partners have come on board to to help us with our campaign like a bunch of gyms in australia like pretty much the two major gym brands in australia have like opened up their doors um to even non-members to log their run and that's important in australia because it's so smoggy that it's actually not safe for a lot of people around the country to go outside for a run. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Wow. For people like running is a part of their like mindfulness, their ability to be like resilient and strong. And that's even just one of the really simple ways that the bushfire is affecting people on mass. Yeah, definitely. Anything else we can tell listeners um, who are interested in helping? I guess we should tell them where to go. And Yeah. So the first thing is, um, if you want to register, just go to www.reliefrun.com.au. So you do that first. Check out the website under Community Runs, which lists a whole bunch of runs around the world. And there's quite a lot in the US already set up. If you don't see a run in your area and you would like to set up one, it's all in your hands. Um, you know, set up a Facebook event group, um, you know, put the details where people can meet, the start time, the distance, whatever it is. Uh, and I guess the biggest thing is please share the relief run as, as far and wide as you can. And I also want to pass on my immense gratitude for the amount of people who have kind of signed up, who have like sent emails. And I think that what is this, this has shown is like in the face of great adversity, people are the ones that can create the light and can create a change. And it's just, that has been a huge amount of hope for people who are really living this crisis right now. Well said. All right, folks. So that's reliefrun.com.au. Make sure you don't forget the .au or it'll go to a different web address. That's not reliefrun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for speaking with me, Samantha. And I'm so glad to hear that this got the traction that it's gotten already. And Hopefully a lot of our listeners will be able to help. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you guys out there in Australia. And I know we have a lot of listeners uh, in Australia oh. and we've been wanting to, to come and do a marathon or two there. But yeah, we're definitely- We still encourage you to do so. The country we will build, it's a beautiful place to be. Just not right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're definitely going to get there. Yeah, 2021, hopefully. Okay, well you let me know and I'll definitely host you. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. Cool, awesome. Thanks guys. All right, thank you, Samantha. Cheers. All right, big thanks to Samantha Gash for jumping on Skype with me to chat about what's going on over there in Australia. Just kind of a last minute thing. And if you're listening to this in time, you can still sign up for the Relief Run. Just go to reliefrun.com.au. Don't forget that .au, Australia extension there. Reliefrun.com.au. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. You guys are awesome. I hope your year is off to an excellent start. We're so glad to be on this running journey with you. If we can help you in any way, let us know. We've got a contact form on our website, of course. And you can reach out to us through Instagram. We are at Marathon Academy and Facebook at Marathon Academy. And thanks again to MetPro.co for sponsoring this episode. They are experts at helping you master your metabolism. Check them out at MetPro.co forward slash MTA. Until next time, be safe out there, everybody. Keep taking action. Work on your weak areas. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.